The Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone, Zaddy Zone, welcome to the Zaddy Zone. I want to clear, I want to use this podcast as an opportunity to clear up a lot of the crap that gets pushed out into the ether from health and wellness people. Recently, I've been hearing vegetables are bad for you you know, because of anti-nutrients or the, 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 the chemicals that plants release to protect themselves from being eaten. Can you clear that up for me? Are vegetables bad? Yeah, vegetables are not bad. Um, I mean, we have a number of really great studies at this point, a robust body of literature um, with fairly rigorous research showing us that increased consumption of fruits and vegetables is associated with better health, increased longevity, um, if this is, if this were just one or two studies here and there, it would be easy to write them off, but we have many meta analyses at this point showing us that fruit and vegetable consumption is strongly associated with, with better health. Now that's not to say that every vegetable is going to work for every person, right? Or every fruit is going to work for every person. Like there is no such thing as a one size fits all diet. So I think people hear the hyperbole that sometimes gets passed across as diet advice in the wellness world on social media. And they adopt that to be gospel. They, they, they hold that as gospel. But ultimately, I mean, we, we, so what science is good at is reducing uncertainty, right? So ultimately, at the end of the day, your ideal diet is going to be something that you have to dis- discover for yourself through trial and error, right? Like the amount of fiber that works for me might not work for you, right? I might do really well with nightshade plants. You might not. Lectins might be fine for me. But maybe if you have active autoimmunity, you'll feel better, see a reprieve from symptoms from cutting them out. So um, ultimately, everybody's going to be different. But at the end of the day, fruits and vegetables are great for you. Awesome. I I'm, I've, I read your cookbook yesterday. I've already made a few of the recipes, but I started reading from the top because it's a great cookbook, um, not only because of the recipes, but also it kind of gives you a great rundown on health and wellness. Talk to me about why vegetables. Let's just start there. Why vegetables are important. Yeah. So, I mean... Vegetables are great from a number of different standpoints. For one, they are rich in fiber. I mean, that's like the most sort of obvious benefit of of consuming veggies that you get a nice hit of dietary fiber, which supports the gut microbiome. So we have this colonic ecosystem comprised of about 30 trillion microorganisms that include um, viruses even, but primarily bacteria. And that ecosystem is really important for A, training the immune system of the body. Actually, your immune system, 80% of your immune system is is centered around the gut because the gut actually is your largest interface with the environment. We like to think of our skin as being our primary interface with the environment, but what's actually in the lumen of your gut, meaning the interior contents of your digestive tract, are not actually, that's still your environment because those contents are not inside of you, right? And it's that bacteria that actually serves to provide a sort of uh, boot camp, if you will, for your immune system so that your immune system is able to recognize what is foreign, what is um, not, what's helpful, what's pathogenic. And so we know that eating a healthful diet rich in a diverse array of dietary fibers and, and other compounds like polyphenols helps to support the beneficial commensal bacteria, so the bacteria that consume that fiber. And it helps to keep pathogenic bacteria at bay, which reside in all of us, right? But the it's the good bacteria that sort of police the bad bacteria. So fiber is beneficial for that, for that reason. It's also beneficial because it's satiating. It mechanically stretches out the stomach, so it turns off hunger signals. Um, and then many of these so-called toxic chemicals that are found in um, plants actually are beneficial through a hormetic effect that they have. So hormesis is the concept given to the fact that toxins or or any chemical really 
at a high enough dose will become toxic and therefore dangerous, but in, a, in small amounts actually um, provides a sort of strengthening effect. It's, uh, it's the scientific backing of that adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's true for um, many things in life, but it seems that these sort of toxic compounds and vegetables that, that exist to ward off smaller organisms, predators, right? Like mice, squirrels, insects, even fungus, right? In us, because we're so much more robust, actually offers a strengthening effect. And also the bacteria consume those products as well and end up releasing metabolites that we see are very beneficial for human health. So there are those two factors. And then also there are different compounds that aren't necessarily, um, you know, plant toxins, but are like pigments, for example, that we see benefit human health, whether we're talking about anthocyanins that are found in blackberries and blueberries or carotenoids, which I'm a huge fan of for their benefit that they play to brain health and, and, and eye tissue. Um, like lutein and zeaxanthin that, that we see in vegetables like kale and avocados and things like that. So, yeah, I would say that that veg- veggies are really great for you. Um, it's just again, it's about finding which ones you tolerate best, and then and then sticking with those. Also, there's a difference between in terms of vegetable tolerance between uh, raw and cooked veggies. Some people do really well with cooked veggies, and yet raw vegetables pose a, a digestive challenge. So, you know, we speak in terms of generalities. But, but yeah, again, ultimately veggies are, are, are great. It's funny to imagine like some poor field mouse chowing down on some kale that a farmer's planted and just being really farty that night and being like, <laughs> I've got to stop doing this. Yeah, it's, um, but that's actually, but that's, that's how it happens. That's why these, many of these compounds get developed. For example, when you chew cruciferous vegetables, a compound is created in your mouth called sulforaphane, which we know is a potent cancer fighter. It increases levels of glutathione in the body. It's been shown to reduce inflammation. But if you actually look at uh, the, like if you if you were to put um, a slice, a cross-section of a cruciferous vegetable like broccoli under a microscope, you wouldn't actually find sulforaphane. Sulforaphane is created by the enzymatic reaction of two different, of two chemicals that are held in separate cellular compartments. That's only created when the, when those cellular compartments are broken open, are, are, are ultimately damaged. So it literally is like an uh, an insect or a mouse antifeedant that's that's created when these two separate chemicals are united to create this this toxin, right? That would sicken perhaps or at least ward off a predator because of its bitter taste. But in us, you know, we're much we're much less sensitive. And so it has that that sort of hormetic effect. It's really cool. We hear a lot of bull crap out there about meat. Um I really want to clear that up with you too. Can you help clear that up for me? Is meat bad for you? Uh, meat is definitely not bad for you. I mean, there are different kinds of meat, right? Like meat isn't meat isn't meat. But ultimately, I think that it's uh, when looking at red meat, um, which I'm assuming you're talking about, it's a very nutrient dense food. Um, it's a food that provides highly bioavailable micronutrients like zinc, like creatine, like vitamin B12. These are nutrients, um, zinc and vitamin B12 in particular, that tend to be under consumed today. And they're in their most bioavailable form. So nutri- a nutrient isn't a nutrient, right? Like there are different forms of vitamin B12. There are different um, forms of zinc. There are also compounds in plants, for example, um, that act as anti-nutrients that inhibit the absorption of minerals like zinc. That's not the case with um, the minerals found in, in animal products. You, it's plug and play for human biology. You also get a small but significant amount of omega-3 fats and of course, you get a pristine source of protein, the, the highest biological value source of protein 
found in nature. Now, some people will do better um, with leaner meats. You know, now that that we're sort of out of the era that has um, really demonized fat for so many years, I think we're now the pendulum has swung in the other direction where you see a lot of people eating excessively fatty meat and putting butter in their coffee and things like that. Some people, for some people, that'll be fine. Everybody's different. But for some, eating lots of animal fat is going to drive up LDL. It's going to increase levels of ApoB, which um, is still a, a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Does that mean that meat is unhealthy? Absolutely not. I think that the benefits outweigh the risks, um, especially when looking at something like, like lean meat, which exists. And so, and that's not to say that all the meat that I eat is lean. Like I enjoy ribeyes and, and, and the fat in meat is very chemically stable. It's primarily monounsaturated fat, actually, if you're looking at the fat from a grass-fed, grass-finished cow. And so, uh, yeah, so for me, I think that it's a, it's, it is actually a health food. When looking at the population level, it's really hard to tease out the benefits or the um, adverse effects of any singular food item because people don't eat single foods in isolation, right? They're not um, animals in a, in a controlled lab setting, right? We eat we consume dietary patterns and we eat meals. At the population level, you see that people who consume meat, more meat, tend to uh, be more sedentary. They tend to smoke more. They tend to be at higher risk of obesity, right? And people that eat more vegetables, more fresh fruits, right? They tend to exercise more. They tend to, because that's so not the norm in the standard, in the context of the, of the standard American diet, right? The standard American diet, just to paint a picture for your audience, 60% of the calories that your average person consumes today comes from ultra processed foods. So these are like Franken foods, essentially made in a lab. And so if you isolate individuals in this country today, in the year 2022, that are eating primarily fruits and vegetables, whole grains and things like that, you'll see probably really good health in that population. But it's correlation doesn't equal causation. So it's impossible to say with that kind of research that, oh, it's the fruits and vegetables that are beneficial. Oh, it's the grains that are beneficial. Same thing with meat. You know, when you actually look at what meat is, it's a very uh, nutrient dense. It's one of the most nutrient dense foods um, available to a modern a modern human. So, uh, so for that reason, I think it's definitely worth incorporating. It's also a great source of choline, which we know is really important for brain health. Am, am I saying that you should be eating all meat all the time or excessively fatty meat? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that meat definitely can play a role in, a, in an optimal diet for humans. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought about the, the the studies that they do on people who eat meat. Uh, well, they like you said, you can't just find you know uh, people who eat just meat, or you can't kind of test one type of food and see. Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense to me that vegans and vegetarians who are very conscious about what they're eating, really like looking at what they're eating and making sure that there's no meat in it. That that creates a consciousness around food that perhaps cr- like helps you be healthy. Whereas if you're just like laissez-faire, you just eat everything, that can cause poor health. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, what you just described is called the healthy user bias. So it's like somebody who's on a vegan or vegetarian diet is probably very neurotic about their food, right? I mean, for one, a vegan diet is a very restrictive fringe diet. So you take somebody who's on that diet and they're they're paying, they're hypervigilant, right, to the foods that they're eating, that person, especially in the context of the modern food environment, which we know is is primarily uh, an omnivorous diet, right? Um, but with meat, I mean, you know, especially with lean meat. Now, with with fatty meat, you'll you can feed it to somebody and you'll see probably levels of of ApoB, which is a, a you know a risk marker for for heart disease increase. There's debate as to 
you know, how much it needs to increase for one to be worried, especially if it's a single number that's elevated in, in isolation. At the end of the day, red meat can be a, a powerful tool to actually shift your body composition to a healthier state, right? Because it's a great source of protein. It's also very satiating. Protein is a very satiating macronutrient. And there have been no long-term randomized control trials to show us that red meat is unhealthy. We There are, there are actually studies that show us the inverse. Um, so, you know, I think when, especially we see this advice online to, to just like X out an incredibly broad category of foods like animal products is, I think we, we need to be very skeptical of that advice, especially knowing that meat played such a pivotal role in our evolution, right? The evolution of, of the human, of the human brain in particular, meat played a, a pivotal role, this, the cooking of meat in particular. So also every food has benefits and risks. This is true for plants. Certainly, you know, plants have compounds. We talked about them. Certain plants have have toxic compounds that you individually might um, not react well to. Also, plants in general tend to absorb heavy metals depending on where they're grown. Um, The dose makes the poison with these sorts of things. But um, there are risks to consuming like any food, especially if it's a food that you're consuming a lot of on a regular basis, right? The same thing is true for, for animal products, right? If all you're doing is consuming fatty meat with every meal and you're, for example, genetically prone to hypercholesterolemia or, or high cholesterol, then that might be a problem for you. But that doesn't mean that it's unhealthy for everybody. Yeah, I, I, I also hear a lot of people talking about how you can get plenty of protein from plants. Is animal protein superior to plant protein? Animal protein is superior to plant protein. Yeah, I would say that, you know, there is, um, so you can look at uh, indicators of protein quality, digestibility, and in in, in, to be specific, the latest one, or the one that's that's currently in, in use by the FAO is the digestible indispensable amino acid score. And we see that animal protein trumps plant plant protein across the board, with the exception of maybe soy. Soy is highly digestible and a good option for people who are on plant uh, exclusive diets. Animal protein is is vastly more digestible than the protein in legumes. Um, And it also has a higher concentration of essential amino acids and in particular branch chain amino acids like leucine, which we know are critically important for stimulating muscle protein synthesis. So animal protein um, yeah, it is, it is higher quality. Also, you have to consume a lot more plant protein to get the same amount of leucine and, and essential amino acids, but also in, in so doing, you're consuming a lot of extra calories from carbohydrates generally, right? So if you are, for example, on a weight loss journey, which not everybody is, that's fine. But if you're on a weight loss journey, it is important to know that you're going to get that, that the protein is going to be most concentrated in animal. Yeah, that's super interesting. I want to talk a bit about choline. You mentioned it before. What? I don't think there are vegan sources of choline, are there? It's all an, from animals? No, no, no. There are. You can get you can get choline in plants, but it's just it's in a, in a much lower concentration. It's not as abundant. Like an egg yolk is like the primary, the, the top source of choline that I'm that I'm familiar with. You get about 125 milligrams of choline in just like a single egg yolk. Yeah, wow. And so what role does choline play for our mental capacity, for our brain health? Choline, it used to be actually considered a, a B vitamin. Um, now we consider it conditionally essential. And I believe you need about four to 500 milligrams of it every day. I think 90% of people don't meet that adequate intake for choline. Um, again, it's it's most abundantly found in animal products. So egg yolks, red meat, great sources of, of choline. 
Um, studies show that people, uh, older adults who consume more choline have a 30% risk reduction for developing cognitive decline, which is noteworthy because you hear in some circles that meat is bad for the brain, right? But choline is primarily found in animal products. So, I mean, right there, that dispels that myth, right? That, that animal products are, are somehow bad for the brain. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a good sort of proxy indicator for, for meat consumption, right? Cause that's where it's primarily found. You get it in, you can find it in small amounts in like Brussels sprouts and, and different plants, but, um, it's just not as abundant. And, uh, it primarily is used in the body as a, um, it's the backbone for acetylcholine, which is a, a neurotransmitter that's important for learning and memory. And it also helps to form what's called the phospholipid bilayer, which is important for neuronal health. So your brain cell membranes, right? Your me the membranes are the sort of barrier that protects your brain cells and also provide the ears so that your brain cells can hear what neighboring brain cells, right? Because they communicate through receptors that bob up to the surface of these, of these membranes, right? So they, they need to stay nice and supple and fluid. And so... Um, we need choline to basically form the 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 backbone of those um, of the molecules that form the phospholipid bilayer, which forms the, the neuronal membrane. Let's talk about um, fish and omega threes. Um, why is fish great for you? And particularly, I want to talk about omega threes. Yeah, so fish is medicine when it comes to the brain, and um, and you know, fish has a lot in common with with animal products like beef. Like fish, you'll still find saturated fat in fish. You'll still find dietary cholesterol in fish, and fish is consistently fish consumption is consistently associated with better cardiovascular health, better neurologic health, better cognitive uh, health for our our offspring. Um, and I think it comes down. Well, I think it comes down to many things, but um, fish is a uh, uh, major source of omega-3 fatty acids. So when it comes to omega-3 fats, you're not going to find a more concentrated source than fish. It's just because fish have to navigate uh, the obviously undersea um, environment. And so the temperatures down there are a lot cooler. And so their cell membranes are constituted of fats that have to stay fluid at colder temperatures, right? At cold temperature, saturated fat becomes hard, right? Like if you take a, a piece of red meat and you put it in the fridge, the, the fat gets hard, right? When it's cold and then you leave it out at room temperature, it softens up, right? Fish are in refrigerator temperature environments. That's their world, right? So their fats are much different. They're primarily polyunsaturated. So they have less saturated fat. They have a higher um, proportion of these polyunsaturated fatty acids. And primarily polyunsaturated fatty acids that we want from fish are the omega-3 fats, which are essential fatty acids. We need to consume them um, to live for, for, for good health. And so the two in particular that are of note are icosapentaenoic acid, which is EPA fat, EPA, EPA fatty acid, and docosahexaenoic fatty acid or DHA fat. And DHA is one of the most important structural building blocks of the brain. And EPA is primarily thought of as an anti-inflammatory fat, uh, but we need both. We need to get both. And the beautiful thing about eating fish is that when we ingest these fats, they're in their preformed plug-and-play state, much like I was how I was describing minerals like zinc and vitamin B12 in animal products. Like when we eat fish, it's like our bodies know what to do with, with those nutrients, right? 
that's not the case for plant-based forms of omega-3s, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to eat a handful of walnuts or chia seeds or flax seeds, you're getting a plant-based form of omega-3s called alpha-linolenic acid, but people vary widely in their ability to convert that, the plant-based omega-3 to its usable form in the body. Depends on genes, uh, gender, ancestry, et cetera. Um, but when you eat fish, you are directly um, enriching your brain with the DHA fat that it contains. And the, the primary, um, the, the, the most valuable fish from that standpoint are the wild, fatty, cold water fish like salmon, sardines, herring, and things like that. Yeah, I love it. Um, how often do you think a week a person should be eating, you know, salmon, these cold water fish, or should they be supplementing with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... What the research says is if you consume fish one to two to three times a week, um, that's you're, you're getting a pretty strong risk reduction for developing Alzheimer's disease, even if you're genetically at risk. But for me, I eat fatty fish, you know, maybe three, four times a week because every meal I'm primarily focusing on, on protein with every meal. And I eat two, maybe three meals a day. Um, and I think it's important to cycle your protein. So I'm not eating beef at every meal. I'm, I'm you know, one meal. And I, I go, you know, more based on intuition. Um, you know, one meal I'll have grass-fed beef. The next meal I'll have a piece of salmon. You know, the next day I'll, ha I'll have a piece of poultry. Maybe I'll have beef for dinner that night, you know. Mm. And why is it important to cycle like that? Well, I think it's just that you get you get a different array of micronutrients in different proteins. Mm. You know, I think it's like when you have a stock portfolio, right? Like diversity is key. You want to have diversity so that you're future future proofing your 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 financial nest egg, right? Well, I think I think that we can borrow some of that wisdom and apply it to our own biology when it comes to the foods that we're choosing to ingest, right? Like each food is different and we don't want to eat any singular food too much just because it's like that's probably not like how our ancestors um, ate these foods. There was seasonal variability in terms of food access, depending on where in the world our ancestors evolved. There was there was a difference with regard to what animals were there, the fauna, local fauna. So, um, so I think it. I think there's probably some wisdom uh, in that, in you know, varying it up. My sweet zaddies, this episode of the Zaddy Zone is brought to you by a product I use literally every morning first thing. AG1. It is the ultimate multivitamin, especially if you want to make health and wellness simple for yourself. So what's in it and why do I take it every morning? Well, one scoop of AG1, I'm absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to help me start my day right. This special blend of ingredients supports gut health, the nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. My favorite ingredients in particular in there, I love getting zinc first thing in the morning and I love getting some ashwagandha because I know it's great for all of those stressful days, right? It's keto, it's paleo, it's vegan. Can you imagine meeting that as a person, a keto paleo vegan? They would be terrible, but this as a product is delicious. It supports clear thinking, better gut health. It's a delicious way to start every day and you start the day with like a serving of greens. That is a win. Let's talk cost, $3 a day. Don't at me, less than a coffee a day, you can have athletic greens, $3 a day. I started drinking it because Andrew Huberman drinks it. David Sinclair drinks it. Tim Ferriss drinks it. And I do what they do because, well, they, they know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Athletic Greens is going to give you, listen to this, 
a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Zaddy Zone, I encourage you to subscribe and rate our podcast five stars. And if you feel so generous, please write a review. Say how much you loved it. Um, I only want to provide value to you, and I hope you're feeling some value by listening to it. We're not asking for any money. Just a nice old rate, review, subscribe. XOXO. Zaddy.